0: Please open your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 33, and look at verse 1 if you will please. And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart, and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear, unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it, and I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And the Lord, verse 1, said unto Moses, personal revelation, conversation, relationship. And the Lord, triune Lord, said unto Moses, depart, we still use that word today, departures, you go to the train station, you go to the airport, departures and arrivals and the Lord said unto Moses one-on-one conversation no doubt in Hebrew depart and go up hence hence of course is old English for from this place or from this very moment in time depart go up hence leave from this particular spot thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt it's a throwback to the previous chapter You are responsible for the children of Israel. The Lord Jesus Christ was responsible for the church. Teachers, leaders and elders are responsible for the local congregations. Unto the land which I swear, I swore, I promised unto Abraham, first of the patriarchs, to Isaac, second of the patriarchs, and to Jacob, third of the patriarchs, saying unto thy seed, in the context, Isaac, right down to Messiah. Unto thy seed will I give it. It's a promise. The land belongs to him. And only this morning I was on Twitter. Reading some of the tweets. A lot of people are posting about Bethlehem. Posting about the Palestinians. Posting against the Israelis. Once again blaming the Jews for everything. A lot of people are upset that parts of Bethlehem seem to be off limits. Once again. And they blame the Israelis. But of course Palestine. quote unquote, Which doesn't really exist. But bear me out. Palestine quote-unquote, is ruled, it's governed by two Islamic parties, Hamas, Hezbollah, and of course you have the Fatah group and other groups within groups, but basically there are two Islamic groups which control Palestine, and they keep their people down, but you hear very little about that. But this land is owned by the Lord, he is the landlord of the entire world, and if he decides to give parts of the earth to a particular group of people, that is his prerogative of course. And I will send an angel, angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We refer to this as a theophany. A theophany, theo, Greek for God. Ophany meaning an appearance, an appearance of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the angel of the Lord. So when he would appear back in the Old Testament, it's referred to as a theophany or a Christophany. Angel before thee, I will send. As the Father sent me, even so send I you. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out. The Canaanite, the Amorites, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. You've got the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And those six groups of people all have one thing in common they all come from Ham. Ham was one of Noah's sons, and Ham was a cursed son. And when you speak about Ham being cursed, when you speak about Ham and his descendants being cursed, it gets very controversial. Because if you know your Bible, if you take the time to read your Bible, you know there are only three races when it comes to how we all got here, who we all are, what the purpose of life is all about. Three groups of people. You've got Ham, possibly being the black man. You've got Japheth and also Shem. Three groups of people. You've got the Caucasians, you've got the Shemites, you've got the Negroids. And from Ham, a group of people come. And from Ham, you've got five groups of people six groups of people if that wasn't bad enough they are a cursed line a wicked abominable line But go back to verse one and the lord said unto moses depart and go up hence thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of egypt that's positive unto the land which i swear unto abraham to isaac and to jacob saying unto thy seed in a collective sense well, I give it. It all belongs to me anyway. I'm now, now I'm going to give it to you. And I will send an angel before thee to reinforce this land grab, if you will. Never mind what the media say concerning Israel today, or Bethlehem today. The Jews own Israel. They own the Palestinian territories, quote-unquote. But if you take the time to study the Palestinian territories, quote-unquote, there's no democracy there. There's no freedom there. People are being murdered all the time over there. Homosexuals are being thrown over roofs. Adulterers, adulteresses are being stoned to death. People are being cut down. Non-Islamists uh, are being uh, treated as second-class citizens. Nobody seems to care about that. But when the Israelis, quite rightly, reinforce the borders, keep the terrorists out, it causes a huge hurrah. And I would drive out the Canaanites, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, all descendants, like I say, of Ham, and all descendants of Canaan. Canaan is a cursed line. Ham was a cursed son. I won't spend too much time on that. It's a very controversial subject and I suggest if you have the time to read Genesis 9 and Genesis 10 at some stage. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. That's a Hebrew idiom. Milk and honey like a land of plenty. For I will not go up in the midst of thee. That's a negative. The Lord is angry with the Jews. Scripture says how he is angry with the wicked every day. He hates all workers of iniquity. He loves the Jews. Jeremiah says as long as the sun comes up and goes down, as long as the moon appears in the sky, as long as the solar system continues to go forth, continue to exist, Israel, the Jews, continue to exist. And of course, you know that the moment the sun no longer comes up or goes down, the moment the moon decides not to reappear, it's all over. And, of course, that's in reference to the the Lord's love for Israel. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. So the entire theme of the Old Testament does appear to be how, like, 90% are against Jehovah, and only 10% are for him. Luke 18, Jesus said when he comes back, will he find much faith on the earth? He would say how the road to Uh, destruction is broad and the entrance into heaven is narrow, and few there be which find the way. This also goes back to free will. Free will is a biblical doctrine. Don't ever be uh, convinced otherwise. The Lord is sovereign, yes, of course, but man has free will. And the two, as I said over the years, work side by side. Look at verse 4. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned, and no man did put on him his ornaments. Ornaments like jewellery. Like doning sackcloth and ashes. If you think back to 1894, there was a French captain called Captain Dreyfus. And Captain Dreyfus was a very brilliant officer. He was Jewish uh, via birth. And this very brave French soldier fell foul of his superior officers. A lot of anti-Semitism in Israel back in the 19th century. And this French officer would uh, fall foul of his French officers. Was accused of treason. And he was sent to Devil's Island. He was put in solitary confinement. He was there for several years. People knew that he was innocent. And a second trial uh, was launched. And they found him guilty again. Because they couldn't afford to lose face. And eventually the French president had to intervene and pardon Captain Dreyfus. But before he was sent to Devil's Island, 1895. He had a defrocking incident. Uh... Basically, he was put online, put on display. All of the officers were there, and he was forced to stand to attention. His superior officers walked over towards him, snapped his sword, took off his hat, ripped off his uh, pips, basically humiliated him. All done in public, of course. And that public court-martial went down in French history. It was a mistrial of justice. It was an awful event. It haunted France for the next two or three decades. Eventually, Dreyfus was released from Devil's Island, he was there for eight or nine years from memory, was later grudgingly uh, re-promoted, put back up to captain, and would even serve in World War I. But the whole incident left a bad taste in the mouth of the French Republic, as it's known, and I think one of the reasons why France collapsed back in 1939 was down to their anti-Semitism. The Germans were mobilised, two and a half million soldiers or thereabouts, the French had a similar figure of fighting men. Churchill was flying back and forth to Paris, having talks with de Gaulle and other leaders, trying to prop up the French, but they collapsed like a pack of cards. You turn on the Jew, Jehovah turns on you. That's all there is to it. You say that Israel is an unbelief today, it makes no difference. Moses would be an unbelief, but he was still greatly beloved. Aaron would be an unbelief, but was still greatly beloved. And the top three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, from verse 1, were greatly beloved, but they all had their shortcomings. There's something about the Jews where you need to be very, very careful. And we are very sensitive at this ministry when it comes to Israel. We stand with Israel, we support the Jews, but we also will call out. At times, uh, things they get wrong, if they overreact, or if they are seen to be anti-Christian. John the Baptist took on the Jewish leaders. The Apostle Paul would also take on the Jewish leaders. But John didn't hate Israel. John didn't hate the Jewish people, nor did the Apostle Paul. And therefore it's imperative for those of us which are premillennial to also be careful. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. A land flowing with milk and honey, that will be fulfilled during the thousand-year reign. For I will not go up in the midst of thee. Not straight away he won't, later he will. That's reminiscent to John chapter 7, when the Lord's brothers would say to him, Go up to Jerusalem, see your people, so on and so forth. And it says in brackets, even his own brethren didn't believe on him. And later on, he would go up to Jerusalem, but he was biding his time, you see. The Lord is in no rush to do anything. And when the people heard these evil tidings, bad news, like verses 1, 2, and 3, how they are a stiff-necked people, they mourned. Mourn over your sin, always good to do so. Second Corinthians speaks about godly repentance, sorrow unto repentance, aimed at saved people. Not unsaved people. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. And no man did put on him his ornaments. Ornaments, back in the Old Testament, was a picture of identity. In a sense, this is a loose uh, picture of one's uh, standing with the Lord. If you fall foul of the Lord, if you get into sin, if you never repent of your sin, you temporarily lose your garment. John says over in Revelation that someone appeared at the judgment seat naked and ashamed. Still saved, of course, but they have strayed from the Saviour, never came back to the Saviour, and as a result, they will appear at the judgment seat naked, barren. Overnight, a friend of the ministry put a video up, and he is now separated from a very famous King James Bible-believing Christian, I shan't name him, and he basically can't go any further with this character in the King James community because this superstar in the King James community is a heretic teaching another plan of salvation, teaching that people can be saved by their works. And yet Isaiah said, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We are nothing in the sight of the Lord. Isaiah would say he was a man of unclean lips. And yet, and yet, incredibly, some of these people have been to seminary, no Hebrew and Greek, very intelligent. And yet they think that people can make it to heaven on their own backs or by their, by, uh, by their own good works. They've got no chance and this brother a friend of our ministry has quite rightly separated from this superstar christian and i salute him and i'll be commending him later today but ornaments like i say picture of identity a picture of standing a picture of one's relationship with the lord go back to captain dreyfus back in 1893 he was arrested in 1894 he was court-martialed 1895 was sent to devil's island and he thought he would probably never get out his wife divorced him the pressure was too much his own children i mean think about his children having to read about their father in a paper every day traitor dreyfus selling secrets to the enemy i mean france like the americans are a very patriotic people nothing wrong with that of course and the french thought this guy is a traitor and of course treason uh, back in the day would result in capital punishment. But he was able to come through it. A lot of people rallied behind his family, and uh, he was uh, he was later released. But to see him standing on parade, there was a movie made about his life called "I Accuse," mm-hmm. made back in nineteen fifty four, uh, starring Jose Ferrer. Watch it; it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. He's on parade. His superior officer walks up and down the line, starts to strip him of his clothing, humiliates him. You are a traitor, and yet. It, It was made clear in the movie that they knew he wasn't, but he was a scapegoat, basically. He was Jewish, you see. Hatred of the Jews, nothing new under the sun, of course. And that's one of the reasons why I think France was so severely punished. First World War, and especially Second World War. Look at verse 5. For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are stiff-necked people, rebellious, unthankful, ungrateful, always kicking against the mercies of the Lord. And before you start to kick the Jews, kick yourself. Aren't you a stiff-necked person? I can be stiff-necked. I can be stubborn. Just before the service began, I was talking to Patrick about this brother in America, friend of the ministry, who's taken a stand against a superstar Christian. And I said, uh, he's, done the right, he's done the right thing, a good thing. But of course, nobody wants to be corrected. Who wants to be corrected? Who wants to go on camera and say, I got it wrong? I went to seminary for five or six, seven years or I I was taught languages, I was taught church history, and I've now been corrected by somebody who didn't go to seminary. Who wants to do that? Would you want to do that? Would you want to lose face? You're told to. The real marks of a humble person is accepting rebuke and correcting your heresy. For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, vicariously the church, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I put myself in that category. I can be stubborn. I can be rebellious. I've made mistakes over the years. I've had to correct my theology. I've had people contact me over the years saying, you got this wrong, you got that wrong. And I've had to check carefully. And a few times they were right and I was wrong. Put my hands up to it. I'm not infallible. I don't claim to be infallible. No teacher is infallible. The Jews weren't infallible. You're not infallible. The church isn't infallible. The true marks of a true humble Christian is humility. And yet it's the hardest to learn. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment's and consume thee. He could have done that going back to the previous uh, chapter which we spent five Sundays looking at how he could have killed the entire nation from uh, 32 10 and start all over again but his attributes are incredible. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee. Get your jewelry off. You are historically children of the king if you will but temporarily you've fallen from grace. That's what the book of Galatians is all about. You've fallen from grace. You're still saved. You're still the Lord's people. You're still greatly beloved. Don't think you can lose your salvation. You can't. But you can lose your state. You can fall. You can apostatize. You can go backwards. You can start to become guilty of heresies. Become a heretic. Heretics, for the most part, are saved people. This superstar that I'm thinking about this morning, I personally think he's a fake. And I've said that over the years. I don't think he's actually saved. I think he's a charlatan. I think he's been able to jump on the bandwagon. He has the gift of the gab, basically. Has a huge presence online. And yet his whole demeanour seems fake. His whole personality seems fraudulent. But he has the right words. He's like the Mormons. They quote the King James Bible. And it sounds all very good and proper until you start to check out what they say Mm. carefully. And then you realise they are preaching another gospel, another Jesus, another God. And then, of course, you feel a fool, don't you? Because you've been endorsing such a person such a church and that's why it's so imperative to check out yourself paul says over in second corinthians check out yourself are you in the faith not are you saved are you in the faith are you walking with the lord are you having a proper relationship with the lord or are you following teachers preachers churches you understand i'm sure stiff net people come up into the midst of the inner moments and consume thee therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee get your jewelry off I am ashamed of you people, that I, that I may know what to do unto thee. He could have killed them all, started all over again. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of the ornaments by the Mount Horeb. Horeb or Horab is the same as Mount Sinai. Same place in Egypt. Some of your reference Bibles will say this Mount in Horab or Horeb is in Saudi Arabia. I don't believe that. I've got two King James reference Bibles. They both make the same argument. But I don't believe that. I think this particular location is in Egypt. I think it's uh, St. Catherine's Monastery, run by the Greek Orthodox Church in Egypt. One of our sisters went there two or three years ago while she was in Israel, took a slight detour into Egypt. And of course, Mount Sinai, Mount Horab, would be connected forever with Moses, and it would be connected forever with Elijah. Both went up there, both would fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Seven... And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. This is probably Moses' tabernacle, his own private tabernacle, his own tent. There is some confusion as to which tabernacle this is. Uh, It does appear to me anyway, this is probably his own tabernacle, his own abode. Uh, Buildings per se were something which the Egyptians would enjoy. The Jews were traveling people. And I've used a crude analogy over the years, like a traveling circus, basically. You travel 15, 20, 25, 30 miles. You set up uh, your camp for the night and you sleep through the night, obviously. And the next day you take down the tent and on you go. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, outside of the camp. Hebrews says we are to bear the Lord's reproach, we are to visit him, we are to worship him afar off. From the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. So you have the main camp area, and then outside of the camp you have the tabernacle of Moses, later he would erect a physical tabernacle a picture of the temple today our bodies are the temple of the holy ghost outside of the camp denotes a uh, physical area of separation just this morning i was reading uh, reading an article online which slightly surprised me uh, concerning the beckenhams and uh, david and his wife victoria beckenham have had their two children baptized one is 14 one is eight and i thought why would they be doing that why bother and I met a few years ago, I think it was Victoria Beckham, uh, who was into the Kabbalah. And now they are baptising their children in some trendy Church of England set up, probably somewhere in London. Baptism is to do with one's identity, with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Beckhams are baptising their children because of some, perhaps, publicity stunts. Maybe Victoria is having a crisis of faith, maybe she's having a middle age crisis. A lot of people, when they hit the middle ages start to panic... Where's my life gone? What have I done with my life? I may have made 5 or 6, 7 or 8, 9 or 10 million pounds, have a few Oscars, have some golden golden discs, still very popular, but where has my life gone? What have I done with my life? Let's get religion. And to see their two children, both in their teens, or one almost in their teens, the other one in their teens, being baptised in a church of England, Anglican church in London, look bizarre. But when you are baptised, you are telling the whole world you are saved. That you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are sharing in his reproach. The thought of the Beckham's, uh Beckhams, excuse me. Being identified with the Lord's reproach is a joke. It's also blasphemy. But here, Jews, Old Testament, not able to go straight to the Lord. Having to approach him via the patriarchs. Be mindful of that as well. Contrast that to today. To today. We go straight to the Lord. We can speak to him. We have personal access to him. The Jews don't have that today. Orthodox Jews don't have that. Muslims today don't have that. Catholics don't have that. Next few days, Catholics all over the world will be going to Midnight Mass, lining up to receive the communion, the Eucharist. They'll go down on their knees. They believe it's the literal body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will drink his wine. They believe it's literal blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's no intimacy there. If you were to speak to just a handful after Midnight Mass and say, do you know for sure that you have a place in heaven? Do you know for sure that you have a mansion reserved in New Jerusalem? Do you know for sure that all of your past, present, and future sins are forgiven, they couldn't ask you in, in a positive. They couldn't say, yes, we know for sure. They would say, go and ask Father such and such. Father knows where we are going. We are trusting in Father to help us get to heaven via the Mass. The whole thing is an abomination. In fact, just this morning I read an article online of an Ang- Anglican vicar who is so disillusioned with the Church of England, he's now converting over to the Church of Rome. Yeah. And I thought, but what's the point of it? Both systems deny faith alone through grace alone, through Christ alone. Both systems deny the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as a sole means to salvation. I mean, it's pitiful, isn't it? Some of these people are educated. Always be mindful of this, that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't choose himself scholars. He chose himself ordinary people, fishermen for the most part, unlearned, uneducated, ordinary, humble men. And I salute this friend of the ministry who, as I say overnight, has taken a stand against this heretic, he would say it was like a David and Goliath situation, possibly. But the Lord works that way. He will use ordinary people to shun the wise. That's what Paul says over in First Corinthians. Not many noble, not many intelligent people are called, but the base, the base, the lowest of the low, are the ones that get called and saved. Verse 8, and it came to pass, when Moses went out unto the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door, and looked after Moses, until he was gone into the tabernacle. Moses, Messiah. Old Testament, the Jews, pitched with the church today. They looked up to Moses. We look up to Messiah. Moses was picked to communicate with the Lord. Jesus communicated with the Lord. Son and the Father. Verse 9. And it came to pass. As Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. Keep your hand there and go to First Corinthians Cloudy pillar, cloudy pillar. Think of a fog, think of mist, think of uh, lack of clean or uh, visible air, or think of the dead of winter. Think of when it's difficult to travel around and you have the car lights on and you're still struggling to see what's ahead of you. First Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse uh, 12. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face. Now I know in part. But then shall I know even as also I am known. Face to face. Looking through a glass darkly. We don't quite understand how eternity will play out. We don't quite understand what will happen during the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. But when that which is perfect is come. Then that which is in part shall be done away. Look at verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part bit by bit look at verse 11 when i was a child i spake as a child i understood as a child i thought as a child but when i became a man i put away childish things there's a picture of somebody who gets saved goes through life living by faith i've been saved almost 18 years and by the grace of god i've been able to preach teach travel around speak to people Proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. My greatest love is the Lord Jesus Christ. Haven't seen him. He hasn't spoken to me. But I believe in him. I trust him. So as of right now, it's all done through a glass darkly. 12. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then second advent. Or second advent. When we are given glorified bodies. But then face to face. We will see him face to face. Now I know in parts. I know partly now what I believe. Who I believe in. But then, second advent, when I get a new body. But then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. Go back to the book of Exodus. 33, nine. And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended. Cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. So Moses is speaking to the Lord. A cloud has descended at the door of the tabernacle. Look at verse 10. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And other people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. John chapter 12 speaks about an angel or the Lord hearing a voice from heaven, and they thought it was an angel. Others thought it was thunder. Both wrong. They could hear a noise, they could hear a sound. Paul on the road to Damascus was knocked off his horse. A light would appear from heaven. A voice came down from heaven. The people heard the noise but not the actual detail of the noise in other words when when the father spoke to the son john 12 only the son heard the words of the father when jesus spoke to paul acts chapter 9 only paul heard the words of the lord on both occasions the people heard a commotion heard a noise of some kind is it an angel is it thunder what is paul hearing we can hear voices or we can hear a noise of some kind But they couldn't make out what it was. It wasn't for them, you see. Same sort of a thing. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. That much they saw. And all the people rose up and worshipped. They know its deity. Every man in his tent door. But this isn't for them. This was only for Moses, New Testament, only for Jesus. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, A young man departed not out of the tabernacle. So Joshua is a type of John. Moses is a type of Messiah. But one more time, verse eleven: And the Lord, Elohim, the one true eternal God, and the Lord spake, spoke unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend, unprecedented. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed. Not out of the tabernacle. Keep your hand there and go to John chapter 1. This is a fascinating piece of scripture. And if you think about what we've just looked at. The Lord speaking to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. You've got one or two options. It's either the father in context or it's the son. Never the Holy Ghost of course. The Holy Ghost is pictured as a dove in scripture. Not a man per se. And yet if you read the New Testament very carefully. The angel of the Lord and the Holy Ghost appear so close together. But of course, for the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. For the New Testament, the angel of the Lord is the Holy Ghost. Got to be careful. Got to be careful when you read the Word of God. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Look at verse 18. Jesus speaking. No man, no man, no man hath seen God at any time. Has to be in reference to the Father. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. So go back to Genesis. Go back to Exodus. Go back to the Old Testament in general. Think about all of the times the theophanies would appear again. Theophany, theo being Greek, Ophany being an appearance, God appearing, an appearance of God. Mark down all the times a theophany would appear back in the Old Testament. Mark down how many times a christophany, Christ, Christ, an appearance of Christ pre the incarnation would appear. Dozens of times, and yet not one of those times does it concern the Father. Go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are hiding from the Lord. They hear his voice. They hear the sound of him walking in the garden in the heat of the day. He calls out to them. They respond to him. A conversation takes place. But who are they communion with? Who are they conversing with? Who are they fellowshipping with? It's the Son of God, of course. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. One more. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. When we get into Trinitarianism, it basically comes down to being along the lines of this. One in being, three in person. One in being, three in person. Most people will split with friends, not down to doctrine, but down to personalities. It shouldn't be that way. And this friend of our ministry has split with his friend, this superstar, like I say, over doctrine. And I commend him for that. People put up with far less, and sometimes far more, and still won't separate. John chapter 14, John chapter 14, look at verse 7. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye shall know him, and have seen him, my Father. Jesus Christ is not the Father, the Father is not Jesus Christ. Please get that clear. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Twelve. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. My Father. And yet this gets lost on so many people. Jesus Christ is not the Father. The Father is not Jesus Christ. And here, Jesus Christ is making it very clear. In fact, look at verse 9. Jesus saith unto him, Have I? Being so long time with you and yet has thou not known me philip he that hath seen me hath seen the father and how sayest thou then show us the father now i'm almost out of time for this morning so i'm going to further elaborate on this next week because this really opens up a whole different dimension when it comes to the trinity which i hadn't really thought about until just yesterday but we're going to get into the glory of the lord over next two or three sundays and i'll say this very briefly that when it comes to the lord's glory When it comes to who the Lord is, his glory is far more than creation, the exodus, miracles, incarnation, resurrection, the rapture. But the Lord's glory is his eternal attributes. And when you really get that clear in your mind, what that actually means, then John 14 is very clear to you. He that has seen me has seen the Father. Later on he would say the Father and I are one, but he would also say how his Father was greater than he was. Not the same person. Two persons. Again, one in being, three in person. But I'm almost out of time for this morning, so I won't go uh, beyond this fascinating look at the nature of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. But I'll say this one last time. His glory is far greater than his miracles. One million years from now, we'll all be in glory, those of us which are saved. And yes, we will be thankful to be saved obviously worshipping him for his creation his miracles the incarnation the resurrection so on and so forth but what's really gonna hold our attention forever will be his glory and that's what moses wants to see show me Your glory lord show me Your glory i want to get close up close and personal with you i have a great love for you far more than physical attributes to really know the lord means to really understand his glory and uh, we will further discuss that next week lord willing exodus chapter 33 33 3 middle part of 33 3 for i will not go up in the midst of thee for thou art a stiff-necked people lest i consume thee in the way jehovah is speaking go back to chapter 3 chapter 3 look at verse 7 and the lord said i've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters for i know their sorrows And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. All descendants from Canaan, all descendants from Ham. And we talked about this last Sunday and within a short period of time, it's all gone sour. It started off very well. From chapter 3, verse 7. I have surely seen the affliction of my people, Jehovah speaking, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know, for I know, for I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Go back to 33, 3, middle part again. For I will not go up in the midst of thee. Why is that? For thou art a stiff-necked people, present tense, lest I consume thee, in the way, this is a recurring theme in the Old Testament, Jehovah and the Jews, a continual battle, the same is true today, between the Christian and Christ. The Jews would fail Jehovah time after time, Christians fail Christ time after time. Thirty-three-nine again, and it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped, every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Door is found three times. The Lord Jesus Christ would refer to himself as the door. Moses sees the Lord face to face they have a conversation and we talked about this last week and I'll discuss that in much more depth this morning look at verse 12 please and Moses said unto the Lord see thou sayest unto me bring up this people and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me yet thou hast said I know thee by name and thou hast also found grace in my sight a reoccurring statement Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, for by grace are you saved through faith, and, and, uh, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Moses said unto the Lord, a wonderful conversation, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people. That was his commission, of course. And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Well, he's got Aaron to assist him, he's got Joshua to assist him, but he realizes this is pretty tough, it's pretty difficult. You try taking ownership of a people. You try being a leader in a local church or running a ministry. It's pretty tough. You do a lot of work. You get very little feedback. You struggle sometimes. And you feel sometimes you're all on your own. And Moses has the right to speak in such a sense, in such a way. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. My sheep hear my voice. I call my sheep. They won't follow anyone else. John chapter 10. And thou hast also found grace in my sight. He knows he's saved. He knows he's on the right track with Jehovah, but he wants reassurance. Nothing wrong with that. It's like a relationship, husband and a wife, wife and a husband, children, close to your grandparents, close to your uncles, your aunties. Do you tell them you love them? Do you buy flowers for your wife? Do you tell your husband you love him? Do you spend time with your children? Do you thank those all around you? Do you show your appreciation to those who are closest to you? And that's what I think Moses is wanting not so much from the lord but he wants help he wants a further sense of recognition and a reassurance that all will be all will be well 13 now therefore i pray thee if i have found grace in thy sight he knows he has but he wants to be reassured now therefore i pray thee if i have found grace in thy sight show me now thy way that i may know thee that i may find grace in thy sight And consider that this nation is thy people. I am that I am. Moses. You're going to preach to my people. I will deliver them from Egypt. You will be their greatest leader. And he goes down in history as one of the greatest. He knows the Lord. He has a relationship with the Lord. But he wants more than that. He wants to know the Lord's glory. And you can understand it, can't you? 13 again. Now therefore I pray thee. If I have found grace in thy sight. Show me now thy way. That I may know thee. Intimacy. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Done many wonderful works in thy name? Cast out demons, devils in thy name? And what did he say? I never knew you. I never knew you. There's a picture of intimacy, but there's a picture of a lack of intimacy. You couldn't say that to your wife, could you? You couldn't say that to your husband, could you? You couldn't say that to your children, but you could say it to somebody who you don't know. Find grace in thy sight. Show me now thy way, that I may know thee. That I may find grace in thy sight. I want to deepen my relationship with you, Jehovah. I want to really know who you are and what you are. That should be the goal of every Christian. And consider that this nation is thy people. Please don't destroy them. Uh, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, right down to verse 6. Please don't destroy them. They are your people. They are stiff-necked people. I agree with you, Lord, as far as that is concerned. But I don't want you to destroy them. Romans 8 says how the Holy Ghost intercedes for us. With words, with utterings that cannot be comprehended. How many times have you wanted to speak to the Lord about something? Had a problem, had a situation and were unable to relay it to him. And you got down on your knees. You stayed in your knees for a period of time. And the words didn't come out. It's happened to me many times. But the Holy Ghost then steps in and takes over. Look at verse 14. And he said... My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, Matthew eleven, twenty eight to twenty nine. Don't worry, Moses, I will assist you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We call this once saved always saved. Standing in state, not the same of course. And here Moses is a bit wary, a bit unsure of himself. He's just seen around 3,000 people cut down from uh, 32, 28. He knows what the Lord is capable of. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay them. And by the time of Moses' death, he's seen death all over the place. So you can understand why he's weary and wary. Weary and wary, wanting reassurance, wanting a fresh commission, wanting the Lord to reaffirm his promises and he will do so time after time and again put yourself in the shoes of a parent husband wife uncle aunt put yourself in such a person's shoes you spend all the time trying to show your loved ones what you think of them only for them to show you nothing or very little in response it's painful it hurts and here Moses wants reassurance and I completely understand that 14 again my presence my presence shall go with thee And I will give thee rest. Hang in there Moses. I'll get you through this. Once I commission somebody. I don't leave them hanging. Once somebody is being called. And trained up. I will get them from A to B. It's like the armed forces. If you join the armed forces. In this country. They take care of everything. They train you up. They accommodate you. They feed you. They arm you. They equip you. They fly you around the world. You don't do that yourself. Do you? And if you get into a situation overseas. They will send a rescue group. To get you out. And it's the same as far as the Lord is concerned. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Verse 15. In other words, we can't do this without you, Lord. Could you imagine an army going overseas, being dropped into battle, for example, or marines or paratroopers, or an infantry brigade being deployed overseas with no air cover? You can't imagine it, can you? It's a package. You deploy armed forces overseas. They expect that support. And here Moses wants the Lord's presence to go with him. Verse 15 again. And he said unto him. If thy presence go not with me. Carry us not up hence. Hence again. Meaning from this place. And again we can't do this Lord without you. The Lord Jesus Christ would say without me. You can do nothing. You can do nothing. Abide in the vine. Grow in grace. Taste that the Lord is good. It's a Reassurance, as I say, it's a sense of assist me, please, Lord. Paul says, Pray for us. Don't be too proud to ask people to pray for you. Don't be too proud to pray for yourself. Paul says, We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities, powers in heavenly places, high places. We can't see many times what we are up against, but we can feel it. We can feel oppression. We feel we are held down, beaten down. Look at 16, please. For wherein? Shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that upon the face of the earth. Separation. A subject we don't hear much about today. And only this morning I watched a clip online of the Archbishop of Canterbury going to Walsingham. A Marian Shrine. I think it's the first time he's been there. And to listen to him speak, it was like listening to a Catholic. I can't tell you how happy I can't tell you how happy I am to be here, to see Our Lady, to experience uh, this wonderful place. Our Lady, this Our Lady, that Our Lady appeared back in the tenth century. Our Lady told the locals to build a house, a replica of her home in Nazareth. I mean, it's like listening to a Papist speak, and he's dressed up as Catholics dress up, and I thought you were no protestant you're no protester you should be ashamed of yourself he's no more a protestant than muhammad ali or ruby wax it's laughable it's an abomination and all these catholics turning up in their thousands of course you have to pay to get in it's not free there's merchandise to purchase of course it's a big business but he's no protestant he's not protesting against the church of rome he's told to be separated and i'll discuss that also this morning For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? Please go with us, Lord. Reassure me, you are going to go with us. So shall we be separated. Separation is found in both testaments. And like I say, most people don't want to talk about this. Most people are content to associate with unsaved friends, unsaved family. And I've spent many years discussing this. It is a fine line, I will grant you that. But one of the reasons why you are to separate is for your own welfare. And I'll discuss that also in a few moments. I and thy people from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. In a context, Gentiles. We're way back in the Old Testament, 1400 BC. Jehovah is dealing exclusively with the Jews. Jesus would deal exclusively with the Jews for the uh, gospel period and vicariously with the Gentiles post the gospel period. Salvation is is exclusive. And when you really get into separation, you realize that it's a lonely walk. Not easy, of course. But you are commanded to separate from unsaved people, whether friends or family. You can keep the the door slightly open. I do teach that and preach that. But you're not to socialize. You are not to socialize with unsaved people. In fact, if you are if you are socializing with an apostate, with a backslider, Paul says over in Second Thessalonians, you aren't even you aren't even to have a dinner, a meal with such a person. First John says you don't even welcome people into your home who don't have the doctrine of Christ. But we've lost this, haven't we? To see Justin Welby at Walsingham, a so-called 10th-century Marian shrine, is just disgusting. It's revolting. Worshiping a dead woman, thinking he is spiritual. The same archbishop speaks in tongues. It's ridiculous. An entire church follows a man. In this country we have 20 million Anglicans. 20 million. And they all see this guy as something special. Something spiritual. It's an abomination. Look at verse 17. And the Lord said unto Moses. I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight. And I know thee by name. Wonderful. Reassures Moses. Doesn't kick Moses to the gutter. The first time he would fall. Praise the Lord for that. If we were to be kicked to the gutter the first time we fell, we wouldn't get up again. We couldn't get up again. It's like that term, crucified with Christ. Do you realize you can't crucify yourself? God has to crucify you. Christ didn't put himself on the cross physically. They put him on the cross. They nailed him to the cross. You can't do that yourself. God has to crucify you. People say, I'm living a crucified life. Are you? You can't live a crucified life unless you lean towards him. You yield to the Holy Ghost. And only then... Can you live a crucified life look at verse 18 and he said i beseech thee show me thy glory keep your hand there and go to john chapter 12 this is the main theme i think of the entire bible and last sunday we scratched the surface looking at the glory of the lord and i've been a christian almost 18 years and maybe two weeks ago i learned something for the first time uh, when it came to the glory of the lord John chapter 12, John chapter 12. The more you read the scripture, the more your eyes are opened. The problem with people like Welby is they don't believe the Bible. They correct the Bible. They put out these weak versions. And even if you quote the King James, they don't want to accept the King James. They are their own final authority. John chapter 12, John chapter 12. Look at verse 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me. But on him that sent me, two people, and I get this straight, two people, not two parts. Jesus is speaking, not just about himself, but about the person who sent him. One more time. Jesus cried, he spoke, he said, He that believeth on me, the just shall live by faith, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Concerning his father. Verse 45. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. Two statements. On the one hand, I didn't send myself, I was sent. And on the other hand, and he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. Go to chapter 14. This part of John's gospel trips up many modalists. And it could be that the Lord has done this deliberately. To trip up heretics. To trip up those that refuse to take the word of God as it stands. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Look at verse 9. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Now there's one or two views. Either he's speaking about physically seeing the Father, when you physically saw him, and yet elsewhere he would say that the Father was greater than him. Elsewhere he would say how the Father and I are one. What's he really talking about? Go to chapter 17. John chapter 17. Now the question goes back to, show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory. That was the, the request from Moses. I've seen your miracles, Lord. I've listened to you. You've spoken to me. We have a great relationship, but I want more than that. It was wonderful when he said to Moses, I am that I am. But Moses wants more than that. Uh, John 17. John 17. Look at verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory, with the glory. With the glory which I had with thee before the world was. The word is eternal. There's no time when the word didn't exist. The word is from everlasting to everlasting. When we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, we are worshipping deity. He didn't become the word of God. He always was the word of God. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jump down to verse 22 verse 22 and the glory which thou gavest me i've given them that they may be one even as we are one i and them and thou and me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me glory i came to glorify you lord concerning his father and i would glorify you i've shown the apostles your glory in other words when they saw me they saw you Not in a physical sense, but far more than that. Going back to God's glory. God's glory is his character. Get this clear. God's glory is his character. Yes, the miracles are wonderful. Yes, creation is wonderful. Yes, exodus, miracles, incarnation, resurrection, rapture, second coming, thousand year reign. It's all wonderful. But what's really incredible is the glory of the Lord. So when he says to Philip, he that has seen me has seen the Father, he's referring to the glory of God. God's character, God's very being, not being God the Father. And of course, Israel has a father. And Israel's father, according to Isaiah 9, is Jesus Christ. Get that clear as well. Go back to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 33, Exodus thirty three eighteen, 18. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. I beseech thee, meaning I'm praying with urgency. I implore you. I am begging you. Please show me your glory. And he shows him his glory. Look at verse 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Keep your hand there and go to Romans chapter 9. This gets quoted by our Calvinist friends. And if you think back through church history, uh, what did I say? Romans Romans 9. If you think back through church history... Uh, if you were to sit down and have a coffee with Calvin he would say well the greatest thing about God's character is his sovereignty he would say that if you were to sit down with Wesley and have a coffee with him he would say the greatest aspect to the glory of God would be his holiness but if you sat down with me over a coffee I would say that the greatest aspect to the glory of the Lord his character would be his love his mercy his patience Holiness is all very well, but I'm not a very holy person. Uh, Sovereignty is all very well, but I lack faith. I lack faith. So, those two aspects of the Lord's character don't always reassure me. What reassures me is His grace, His compassion, and His love. Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, look at verse 15. For He saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Almost word for word from the book of Exodus one more time. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Jump down to verse 18. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. That gets cited, but one more time. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Most Calvinists stop there. And they say, well, there you are, you see, predestination, limited atonement, irresistible grace. But they don't take you to chapter 11. Go to chapter 11. Chapter 11, chapter 11. Look at verse 32. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. One more time. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, Jew and Gentile, that he might have mercy upon all. He's not willing that any should perish, but how all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ would cry over Jerusalem, would put up with cursing, cussing, blasphemy, would put up with ridicule, would put up with lack of faith from his own friends and family. Going back to the real glory of the Lord is his character, not some physical thing. It's who he is. It's it's what he is. Wesley was partly right. Holiness, yes. Calvin, sovereignty, yes. But for... My point of view, is going to be his love, his mercy, his patience. It's going to be grace, compassion, faithfulness, forgiveness and justice. God is also very slow to anger. Go back to the book of Exodus. Much like a well-balanced parent. You don't slap your children around the moment they misbehave. You should discipline your children and the Lord will discipline his children. Hebrews says if you're not disciplined, you are illegitimate. Basically, you are a bastard. But a good parent will get the whip out every so often. God gets the whip out every so often. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Look at verse 20. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So back in the Old Testament, pre-the incarnation you've got Christophanes, Theophanes. you have deity appearing in physical form. It could be through an angel. Uh, it could be in the person of a prophet, a messenger, even Balaam and Balak were used by the Lord to communicate with the Jews and also the Gentiles. And this goes back to what we discussed last Sunday. Who is speaking? Is it the Father? Is it the Son? Is it the Holy Ghost? Well, Jesus would tell us how no man has seen God at any time. John one eighteen, and he's referring to his Father. But here, it could be that the Father is partly in the picture but in a limited sense and he said thou canst not see my face you can't physically see my face and yet from 9 10 and 11 this pillar which came down from heaven spoke face to face with moses it could also be that the tent that moses was in at this point of time shielded moses the tent could have been a shield and therefore moses who was inside the tent got a glimpse of god from outside of the tent going back to this middle wall of partition, which Paul speaks about in the book of Ephesians. It's hard to really get the uh, full picture here. It's like a shielded part of the Old Testament. But if I understand the scripture particularly well, I think what's probably happening is Jesus Christ is in the picture. Jesus Christ is speaking. And Moses is getting a glimpse of the Lord Jesus Christ, but not a full glimpse. But fast forward to the Gospels. God Almighty It says how God was manifested in the flesh is on the earth. They see him, they dine with him, they enjoy his physical company and they see the father's full glory, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. In other words, when they see Jesus Christ walking, speaking, living, dining, existing, if you will, they see the father inside of him. But Jesus Christ is not, is not the father. And I'll keep preaching that until the day I die. 21, and the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. The Lord Jesus Christ is the rock of all ages. So again, the door found four times. Verses 9, 10, 11 would suggest, this is Jesus uh, speaking. The rock, uh, 21, could be in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, the rock of all ages. I will build my church upon this rock. And that always gets quoted by our Catholic friends. But of course it's not Simon Peter, it's Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Keep studying people. Study, study, study. If Justin Welby spent as much time studying the scriptures as he does, hanging around with apostates, unsaved people, he'd be a Bible scholar by now. But of course, he knows to do just that, it's going to be difficult. It's going to cost him friends. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by. There's our word again. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Jesus is the Father's right hand man. I will cover you, bitch of imputation, I will wrap you in myself, I will put you into the body of Christ, I will cleanse you, I will give you imputation. And it shall come to pass, while my glory, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff or the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. But go back to verse nineteen. I will make all my goodness pass before me, And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. The name of the Lord. I am that I am. El Gabor, Elohim, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, uh, Yahweh. He has many names. Uh, El Alion, Jehovah Shalom. He has many names, but it's more important to understand not just his name, but his character. His character. Who is he? What is he? What makes our God tick? Miracles are wonderful. Creation is incredible. But who is he? What is he? What makes him forgive people? What makes him save people? I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy, on whom I will show mercy. And yet again from Romans eleven thirty two that statement concerns everyone. But thirty three twenty three and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Go to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five the Bible is like a soccer match, or the Bible is like an opera, or the Bible is like a movie. Every movie, every opera, every soccer match is in two parts. The first part, the second part. Uh, if the Lord gave you everything all at once, it would be an anticlimax, it would be disappointing. Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, look at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died before we were even conceived. And if you really think about the atonement, it'll blow you away. You can't be lost. Your sins were put to him before you were even born. It says over in Second Corinthians, he hasn't even imputed the world's sins to themselves. He's holding back his wrath. If you're born again, you are forever born again. This is incredible. One more time. For when we were yet without strength, not even saved, not even born, not even conceived, chosen him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter one. For when we were yet without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Are you ungodly? Do you see yourself as filthy? Do you see yourself as a sinner? And if I have time, I'll discuss that this morning. If you don't, he didn't come for you. He came for sinners. He came for weak people. In fact, just last night, I was thinking about a well-known preacher. I shan't name him. A controversial preacher, married several times, gets criticized by many brethren, and sometimes justifiably so. But one thing I like about this preacher, he's dead now, was that he was flawed. He had problems. He was like me. He's like the Old Testament greats and some of the New Testament greats. And I can relate to someone like him. I can't relate to somebody who's always had a clean, perfect life. Got saved 50 years ago. Never failed. Got everything spot on. Is a real pillar in his or her community. Never put a step wrong. I can't connect with that person. Maybe you can. Maybe you can. But I can't connect with that person. I'm very interested in people who fall, fail. People like John Wesley. People like George Whitfield very controversial characters john knox another one those are people who i can relate to and those are the people that are found in the old testament i don't listen to some preacher who's been married 50 years and his wife saved his children are saved his grandchildren are saved i can't relate to that person i've got unsaved family and when you have unsaved family unsaved friends you can relate to somebody who doesn't have a completely saved family and that's why some of these preachers who are controversial are so interesting to listen to you can connect with such a person for scarcely, verse 7, for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure. For a good man, some would even dare to die. That's possibly so. If you go back through World War II, World War I, there were good people who uh, sacrificed their lives for others. Uh, Maximilian Maximin- Cole, was it? That's Maximilian you know, Cole? Kobe, yeah. A Catholic priest yeah. allowed somebody to uh, yeah. take his place. or so He took somebody else's place, I should say. Eric Little took the place of somebody else. I'm not saying these are saved people. I'm not saying that. But they did take a stand. And this ex, was he a priest or papist? Priest. He was a priest. Took the life of somebody, or took the place, I should say, of somebody else. Auschwitz. Auschwitz. Yeah. And uh, little in China. China. Basically died in the place of somebody else. It does happen, mm. but it's rare. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, for righteous man, would one die. Yet peradventure, perhaps, for a good man. Some would even dare to die, but we're not good, are we? We aren't good. We don't deserve to be saved. But God commanded his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood. Get that clear. Justified by his blood. 90% of Christendom don't believe that, don't understand that. And that's why 90% of Christendom are going to perish. Matthew seven twenty-one to 23. I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Because they didn't believe the blood could save. Basically. Devastating. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Go to Ezra chapter 3. I'm running out of time, but I want to squeeze a few more verses in. Ezra chapter 3. People think uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations are really uh, poignant books, and they certainly are. But Ezra and Nehemiah come pretty near to really highlighting the glory of the lord the love of the lord uh, ezra chapter 3 ezra chapter 3 look at verse 11 and they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the lord they took it in turns to praise the lord one more time and they sang together by course took it in turns in praising and giving thanks unto the lord why because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward israel And all the people shouted with a great shout, when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Worship him, praise him, put your hands up in the air, Paul says you can do that, and you see where the charismatics get some of their ideas from. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men, that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. So that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar of off. They're back in the land, the wall is going up, but some of the older gentlemen remember the good old days, and they are sad uh, they are sad that is come to this go to chapter six. I got a tear in my Bible. I ripped this a few weeks ago by mistake. I was very upset about that. Ezra chapter six, Ezra Chapter six, look at verse twenty one. And the children of Israel, which were come again, out of captivity, and all such as had separated themselves unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land, to seek the Lord God of Israel did eat. Filthiness of the land. Do you see your unsaved friends and family as filthy? Do you? Or do you rub along with friends and family? We've just had Christmas come and go. I spent an hour with my family over Christmas, so did Patrick. That was our max." One hour. Couldn't do two hours. I couldn't stomach three hours. One hour was our max. Two days ago, Patrick was in town and he bumped into a brother giving out tracks. And he said, how are you? And he said, fine. And he said, how was your Christmas? And he said, "Okay." And he said, "Uh, are any of your family saved? And He said, well, just my mother. And he said, every Christmas, I dread going to visit one of my two brothers' homes. TV is on. People are sitting around drinking, eating. And thankfully, he said, my mother had a headache And after an hour, I was able to use that as an excuse. Praise the Lord, Lord, he said, to take a home. Separation, it's found in both testaments, but it's rarely preached. Most Christians will not not separate from unsaved friends and family. Most Christians will not separate from backslidden apostate Christians. They won't separate. And when they don't separate, the Lord chastises them. And the children of Israel, which will come again out of captivity, and all such as have separated themselves unto them from the filthiness... Of the heathen of the land. That's what God thinks of unsaved people. To seek the Lord God of Israel did eat. And kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful. And turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them. To strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God. The God of Israel. Go to chapter 9. Like I say, I slightly ripped this page a few weeks ago. And I put some tape over the page in question. This is an old Bible I've got. It's over 100 years old. And sometimes if you turn the pages too quickly, you will tear the page, basically. Uh, Chapter 9, chapter 9, chapter 9, look at verse uh, 5. Ezra is now speaking. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose up from my heaviness. And having rent my garments and my mantle, I fell upon my knees. And spread out my hands unto the Lord, my God. And said, O my God, I am ashamed. And blessed to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. Who could you think would say that today? Who says that today? How many priests, prophets, pastors, vicars would say that today? One more time, verse five. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose up for my heaviness, my heaviness, and having rent my garments and my mantle, I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands unto the Lord my God and said, oh my God. I am ashamed and blushed to lift up my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities are increased over our head, and our trespass is growing up into the heavens. Get on your knees, basically. If you are a Christian, if you have sinned, if you have apostatized, if you're hanging around with unsaved people like Welby, or some of these Protestant leaders hanging around with Catholics. I got an email a few days ago from a brother in America saying, why are so many Protestants hanging around with Catholics mm. outside abortion clinics? What do they have in common? They can't agree on the gospel. They have a different gospel, a different God, a different plan of salvation. Why are they hanging around with Catholics? Because it's political, you see. But there's no time to discuss that this morning. Uh, Jump down to verse 10. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken thy commandments, which thou hast commanded by thy servants, the prophets, saying, The land unto which we go to possess it is an unclean land, which the filthiness of the people, of the lands, with their abominations, which... Have filled it from one end to another with uncleanness. Can you relate to this? Does, is this your mother? Is this your father? Is this your son? Is this your daughter? Can you relate to any of this? Or do you think your kids are good kids? Are your parents good parents? Are your family all saved? Do you all read the Bible together? Do you all pray together? Do you all work as a unit? This is what Ezra and Nehemiah is all about. Like I say, Jeremiah comes pretty near. Uh, and uh, Lamentations is pretty near as well. But these two books will blow you away. Humble you. If you are saved. Now, therefore, verse 12, give not your daughters unto their sons, neither take their daughters unto your sons, nor seek their peace of their wealth forever, that ye may be strong and eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. You can't marry non Jews. And for today, you can't marry unsaved people. If you have children who are yoking up with unsaved people, you can't do it. You cannot do it. I can think of one brother who married an unsaved woman. He's still with her, unhappy. He was saved and he still married her knowing that she wasn't saved. You can't do that. You cannot do that. It's one thing if you are married before you got saved, in which case you stay as you are, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and you pray and hope that your spouse will get saved. But if you are saved, love the Lord, and you are dating, engaged, marrying, or about to marry someone who isn't saved, it's a sin. It's a sin. And after all that is come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that thou... Our God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve and has given us such deliverance as this. Should we again break thy commandments and join in affinity with the people of these abominations? Wouldest thou not be angry with us till thou hast consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? Is separation. He demands separation. God is a jealous God. Look what Christ did for us. Left heaven, came to earth, lived a pretty rough life, was nailed naked to a cross. The apostles, all but one, were murdered for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we expect to cruise through life as Christian people spending a lot of time with unsaved friends and family. You can't do it, people. You cannot do it. Listen, I'll say this. I can think of one couple and the woman, the wife of this couple, is estranged from her parents, ridicules her parents online, which I think is disgraceful, dishonours her father and mother, the fifth commandment, honour. Thy father and mother. Her parents are both religious people, and yet she doesn't want to associate with them because they're not on the same page as she is. You can't do that. You can't dishonor your parents while at the same time yoking up with unsaved people, backslidden people. It doesn't work. Should we again break thy commandments and join an affinity with the people of these abominations, wouldst thou not be angry with us till thou hast consumed us so that there should be no remnant nor escaping? O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous for we remain yet escaped as it is this day behold we are before thee in our trespasses for we cannot stand before thee because of this there's too much sin in the camp and that's the problem far too much sin in the camp and because there's too much sin in the camp there's no answer of prayers nehemiah chapter 9 nehemiah chapter 9 the more i study separation the more i see how imperative it is and yet it's neglected by most people because most people don't want to take a stand and yet this brother we saw a few days ago took a stand and uh was much better for it nehemiah chapter 9 nehemiah chapter 9 look at verse 16 but they and our fathers dealt proudly and hardened their necks and hearkened not to thy commandments it's a reoccurring theme isn't it and refused to obey neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them But hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon, amen. Gracious and merciful, amen. Slow to anger, amen. And of great kindness, amen. And forsookest them not. That's what I think is really the character, the nature, the glory of the Lord. Yes, I love the miracles, and I read about the miracles, and I get a great blessing every time I read the Bible. But I want to connect with the Lord on a much deeper level, as did Moses. Show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory. I'll give you one final one. Go to Matthew chapter twelve. People say, "Well, this is the Old Testament, James. You shouldn't be quoting the Old Testament so heavily. You shouldn't be leaning so heavily in the Old Testament." Uh, back in the Old Testament, if you back-chatted your parents, you were put to death, which is true. And also during the thousand-year reign, if you back-chat your parents, you are also put to death. Uh, Matthew chapter twelve. Matthew chapter twelve. I always say this, keep the door open, if you can, with unsaved friends and family, but don't get too close, don't get too close. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 46, while he yet talked to the people, behold his mother and his brethren stood without, designed to speak with him, his biological mother, half brothers and sisters, a family affair, while he yet talked to the people, behold his mother and his brethren stood without, outside, designed to speak with him, and... Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, designed to speak with thee. Your family are outside Jesus. Your family wanted to speak to you, Jesus. Can you stop preaching? Can you make some time for them? Then one said unto him, Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, designed to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? What a thing to say? Who is my mother? Who is my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. First 50 is the key. For whosoever, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. That's the key. Once your family are born again, they are your real family. But until they are born again, they are not your real family. You won't spend eternity with your unsaved parents, your unsaved spouses, your unsaved children you spend eternity with the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. So we will close it there. By the grace of God. We've been able to cover this chapter in two Sundays. I've gone over time for this morning. So my apologies for that. Uh, but I wanted to take a slight detour. And show you Nehemiah, Ezra. The real glory of the Lord. The character of the Lord. Who he is, what he is. What's imperative. What's really important. A perfect loving God. Who's merciful, compassionate shows uh, forgiveness and justice yes on top of being holy yes on top of being sovereign Uh, but for me what really makes God so marvelous miraculous and special is his love really his patience his forgiveness and if you get that clear in your mind you will never uh, stumble and one final time when you see Jesus Christ in Matthew Mark Luke and John you see the father not physically but spiritually you see the glory of God being played out through the Lord Jesus Christ he that has seen me has seen the father yes this is the father at play this is the father in full majesty and you wait till the thousand years come around and jesus christ is on the earth for one thousand years ruling with a rod of iron and absolute judgment and justice and all these attributes we've spoken about this morning will come together and you'll be just absolutely blown away in complete awe of the man from galilee